that work? Yeah. Everybody hear me okay? Excellent. So uh, we've got some paper and pens coming around. Make sure you've got one. We won't use it straight away, but we will need it in a moment. So uh, just make sure that you're getting those. Now, I brought one of my little pot plants with me today, which those that know me know I enjoy the garden and plants. Uh, that's not why I brought this though. Question, what has led to this plant looking the way it does right now? What are some of the things that have led this to look the way it does right now? Yeah, oh. it's the good soil. So the soil and having good soil? The water, the amount of water that's gone into it. The sun. You can actually, you can actually see where my window is in relation to the plant, can't you? It's leaning over towards it. The gardener, so what I actually did or didn't do with it. What else? Is that it? Is that all that's caused it? Oxygen? Sure. Why are the leaves the shape the leaves are? Why are the leaves the colour the leaves are? Yeah, so there's genetics that goes into it. It's a certain species of plant. I think of this around, there's, there's some things that are embedded into the nature of this particular plant. The fact that it's a plant, the fact that it's this type of plant, there's that genetical aspect of it, uh, which I, I, I think of as like its essence. And you know that the essence of this plant is a certain way that it's going to need the water and the light. Not everything needs water and light, but plants do. This type of plant is going to need a certain temperature. It's going to need a certain amount of light. It's all part of its nature, its, its essence. But then it gets shaped, doesn't it? You know, there's, there's plenty of plants that don't look like this that uh, even I've looked after and might look a little bit browner than this or um, even a little bit bigger than this. And so there's effects around how we've looked after it. The same, same is true for each of us. There are certain things about us that we need, things that part of our genetics, how, how uh, we were born, things that you can probably go, I know this is part of my heritage. You know, the, the height I grow to is part of those genetics that have been passed down to me. But other things about me that are shaped. And I believe that's not just true from the physical perspective, but also in terms of how I am, how I behave. Some of that is about me, who God created me to be, and some of that is about me and how God is shaping me to be. And if I, I think about some of my other plants, so I've got fruit trees in the backyard, I look at one of my oranges, knowing and understanding that plant helps me make sure I've put it in the right sort of spot, that it's got enough sunlight, that it gets enough water, but also I know that if I prune it, and if I prune it a certain time in a certain way, it becomes more fruitful. And so that's what we're gonna be exploring a little bit today, that idea of there's certain things that are important for us in terms of how we are and where we work well, but there's also a certain shaping, a certain pruning that needs to go on. And so um, this is talk two of a series that we're doing. Uh, around tooling up for love. Last week, Andy shared about why are we doing this series and the fact that we, we can't separate spiritual 
and emotional maturity. They, they go hand in hand. And so that's what we're going to be delving into a little bit further as we think about how do we know ourselves in order to know God and in order for God to love through us more powerfully. So question about how do we know ourselves? Well, that's what we've got the paper and pen for. I'm going to give you uh, two minutes just to reflect on what do you know about yourself? You don't need to share this with anybody. So I'm not getting you to write it so you can share it. I'm getting you to write it so that you can see for yourself how you're capturing that. So a paragraph or two, depending on how much writing you like to do. How would you describe yourself? And just finish that sentence that you're on now. So as I said, I'm not going to ask you to share with anyone what's on there, but I want to ask you a few questions about it and about that, that process. And the first one is, how easy was that task for you? And do a little bit of a scale. So if that was so hard, I don't actually have anything on the paper, maybe just put your hand right down here. If that was actually, you know, it, it was challenging, but I was able to form some thoughts, or maybe actually that was really clear for me and it was just a case of getting all that down on paper. So if you just put your arm on that scale of how hard to easy you found that as a task. Okay. And then my next question, how did you identify those things? What were some of the ways, not just now, but leading up to now, that you've been able to work out what to put on the paper? Mm -hmm. So are the people telling you what they see in you? Mm -hmm. And what parts of that stood out for you that you were able to? Just describing my, I started off describing how I, my stature and then describe a bit of, uh -huh. started describing what's inside. Okay, yeah. So I just kind of like found that structure gave me something off. Yeah, so there's a framework that I was able to then use to reflect and match it. I've had a daughter do a similar thing with me, and I found it so hard. Mm -hmm. And so I can feel for those other people, but I've done. She's done it to me a couple of times, and so now I can be here. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not a one-off no, process, there, but it's a yeah. Because I've never done it. Mm. I had an experience being asked three questions like that about who I was, mm. and I. I had to be challenged to think about it because I hadn't, mm. I hadn't thought about who I am. Because as a mother, you must be thinking about other people. Yeah, yeah. So there's that that challenge. It's almost like pulling you out of your comfort zone, and that time to reflect and do it. You're too busy thinking about the lives of all the, your husband and your children and all your mothers and your fathers mm. and everyone else around you. Yeah. It's not a place you've gone to. Yeah, yeah. Anything else that helped? In his book, um, Peter Scazzaro says, it, it's really important when we do this, from his perspective, to not make it about what I do. So, you know, this is my job. 
uh, to not make it about what I have. I've got two kids, I've got a dog, I've got... And to not make it about what others are describing us as. Uh, I wouldn't say it's not, not listening to others because, and we'll, we'll get to that, but it's not, I'm not defined by purely how other people are describing me. And we'll explore that a little bit further today. But before we do that, I want to share a little bit about my own journey with that. Now, I'm in the type of job, so I, I, my full-time role, not to use that to describe me, but just for context, my full-time role is uh, in people development. So I spend a lot of time doing this kind of thing with people. I use lots of tools like personality tests. So it's something that uh, perhaps unlike your situation, Charlie, I've been forced to constantly think about and reflect on. And um, what's been really interesting looking back at that for me, the times in which I've learned most about myself is when I've been in situations that were not easy for me. And I can think about situations in the past, two particular work situations that it was not great. I've, I've done a lot of different jobs, worked in a lot of different companies, and um, I've got just sh such sharp contrasts about places that I've felt right, this is perfect for me, and places I've just gone, this doesn't work. And when I've been in those places where it doesn't work, I've learned a lot about myself, because I've realized, yep, that is not me. I've learned that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a theoretical person. I like ideas and concepts more than the, the practical side of things. I like working in that space of complexity, where things aren't necessarily straightforward. And I love working with people, and being able to help people think about things differently, in order that they can change, in order that they can transform. And I've learned that by being in roles and situations where I haven't been able to do that and watching that life sort of drain out of me because I'm not having that, that exposure. One particular situation was extremely tough for me. I was in a, a job where there was a lot of uh, challenge, a lot of people criticizing, a lot of people are you really good enough for this? And I shriveled up during that. It was so hard for me. I was, I was having, you know, waking up in the morning, dry reaching with the thought of happening to go to work and just constantly, constantly struggling. And during that time, I started looking at some of my uh, uh, personality type descriptions, one of the ones I'd used in the past, the, the Myers-Briggs, and I was reading it going, yes, that's me. And it's not what I'm getting right now. That, that need for, you know, to be the life and for, 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 for people to be giving me praise and happy and working, that, that describes me and what I'm getting right now is not that. And at the time I was working with a coach, a, a professional coach to help me. And he encouraged me to think about, uh, yes, that might be helpful in some situations, but it's a very static description of you. It's a very, this is who I am and that, that's always going to be the case. And you're in a circumstance that's requiring something quite different. And it might be helpful to think about how your personality and who you are might, might shift. And that was a real challenge for me to, to dig into that. And, but a really helpful process. And actually out of it, I ended up leaving that job and getting one that did feel much more aligned to who I was and what I could do. But I learned something around that, that need to shift. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a bit more detail. But before I do, let's explore that a little bit with the scriptures. 
And so I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 17, 26 to 50. And this is the story of David when he comes out to meet Goliath. So anybody who hasn't come across that, uh, we're talking back in the Old Testament days and the nation of Israel, uh, they are at war and um, the enemy brought out one of their massive soldiers who was pretty much a giant. Everybody was afraid of this giant. And the deal back then was, you bring your champion out, we'll bring ours out, whoever wins, wins the fight. And so they were petrified because who could go up against this giant Goliath? And David, reading from verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17, David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Oh, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. 
As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Lots of stuff we could impact from that, but what were some of the descriptions David was receiving from others about who he was? Does anybody recall? Does anybody recall what? What's that? A lowly servant. Yeah, lowly. Yes. So his brother, older brother, used the term, you are just proud and deceitful. You're just here to see the fight. You're proud and you're deceitful. Yeah, he's just a boy. You can't fight him. And Goliath looked down and said, you're coming at me with sticks. What am I, dog? So all these descriptions around him. Now, when you come across that, I think there's a couple of choices you can say. And let, let's go particularly to his brother's comment. You're proud and deceitful. So I think there's a number of ways we can look at this, and I'm not going to say which. I'll leave it up to you to decide. We could look at this and say, this is deception. His brothers are, are fooled. The devil's telling them this certain description or their own uh, pride and evil thoughts have given this, this description of David it's a lie. It's not true. And they're saying it and possibly an option for him to be deceived. You could look at it and say, well, it's partial truth. That's what they see, but it's not necessarily the whole truth around how David is. You could look at it and say, well, it's potential truth. They're saying it and David can either accept that and live into that, or he can disagree and find a different way. Or you could look at it and say, it's just a different perception. That's how he, as an older brother, perceives his little brother. Other people can see it differently. It doesn't really matter which of those you take. The important thing is what David did with it. And what David did with it was to say, that's not going to define me. Your description of me is not what defines me. What did, how did David establish who he was? Does anybody recall? Yeah, there was a big, big emphasis on God's role. And his past experience. Just that he uses the phrase, I have done, you know, all of these saving the sheep and tackling, and I will. So I've done this in the past. I know that God has enabled me. And he says later, the Lord that will. So I've done these things and the Lord that helped me there will help me to do this going forward. The interesting thing about that is he's never had to fight a giant before. <laughs> you know, it's not that I know I'm a giant slayer, you know, that's who I am. It's like, no, I know that I've been in these situations where I've had to face really difficult opposition where I've had to fight and God has helped me through that. And I know that I'm the sort of person that God will use now to do this. 
So it is that recognition of what God's done with him in the past, combined with the fact God's asking him to do something now, giving an opportunity to do something. So he's not caught back in, this is just who I am, that's stable. But he is drawing back in that. And so um, I think that's, that's something for us to, to reflect on as well. Um, what in his book, um, Peter Scazzaro talks about a, a number of different ways that we can reflect on who we are. Uh, and, you know, spending time in solitude, reflecting on what God has to say, uh, being able to c- confine in a trusted friend and get that, that feedback around how they're seeing us, but not just hearing what people have to say, like David's brothers and Saul were saying to him. Um, I talked about how for myself, I'd used many personality tests. They were quite helpful. And um, I also talked about going out of my comfort zone, how doing something that was, was different showed me what I could do differently, but also what didn't work for me. The other thing that really helped me, and uh, during, during this, this last difficult time I was talking about, um, is, is work from somebody called uh, Keegan. He talks about stages of development. Now, I come across a lot of these models that are not necessarily from Christians or coming directly out of the, the scripture. And I always say, you know, I always think it's useful to be open to those, but to think, well, what's, what's the ultimate purpose of exploring this? Because some of them, and I was talking with Andy around this, some of them can all be about this sort of self-help uh, and, you know, I'm doing this so that I can you know, become a better person independent of God. And I think the important thing is to go, well, if I'm exploring this, how does that link into what God says and what God might be doing? So uh, as I go through this, I'm going to make some of those linkages. So, and he talks about, and there's lots of different frameworks you can use. I, I particularly like Keegan's work. He talks about these different stages, even from a child all the way through to adulthood. And within adulthood, he talks about three different stages that you can go through. You don't always go through them, depending on your maturity. And um, the first one he describes as the socialized self. And that's that idea of fitting in. It's understanding what are the norms? What are some of the values that perhaps this church has that I need to align myself to? What are some of the expectations that people have of me that I need to be able to conform to? It's that reading and fitting in with the group. I always think about teenagers trying to become aware of this by dressing the same or, you know, walking the same. And, you know, it's that, that feeling of being a part of a group. And he says that the, the next level of maturity from that is the self-authoring stage. That's about being able to go, look, you know, a lot of people in this group would say this, but I actually believe this. It's that ability to go, my beliefs aren't just defined by the people that I'm with. And we hear that in David, right? The, the rest of Israel are going, oh, no, no, we can't do that. And David's like, no, nah, this is what God's doing. You've got his brother describing him and you're going, no, that's, that's not me. So that ability to go, I'm not just defined by the values of those around me or what other people around me perceive, but holding on to that myself. My, my favourite image of this actually comes uh, if you look in the book of Daniel. And if any of you have read that, that story with Shadrach, Meshach, and I can never say his name properly, Abignino or something like that. Um, but there, 
they're there and King Nebuchadnezzar has just built this big statue and said, when the trumpets blow, everybody needs to bow down and worship my statue. Um, I don't know how many people were there, but I'm imagining the whole nation, it would have been thousands of people. And when the trumpet blows, they all drop down and you've got these three guys just standing there going, no, we don't bow down to the God. I mean, that that I, it just gives me shivers. I can't imagine. I'd love to think that I'd be one of those three standing. Can't imagine it, though, that, that ability to just go, no, that's, that's not the right thing to do. So that, that's part of that self-authoring, that ability to go, even if it's other Christians that are going, this is the direction we're going, to be able to go, no, no, that's, that's not um, what I should be doing here. Um, we see it in Jesus so often. There's a, a passage where um, what he was saying became hard and many that from that point on walked away. Jesus didn't worry that many people walking away go, oh, no, 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 let me try again, you know, come back. Or he was like, no. And, and at that point, he actually turned to his disciples and said, what about you? And they turned around and said, where else have we to go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. So that, that ability to go, this is not about the popular vote. This is about the truth. Um, and then there's um, the, the third stage that he talks about. So is that me socialized, accepting the group, me self-authoring, stepping aside and going, no, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And then his third one is this self-transforming, which is that ability to go, oh, I can actually see how different people are viewing this in different ways. My own self-authored view is one perception but I can also see those other perspectives. Not only that, but I can question and challenge some of my own perception here and allow that to shift. And I think that's very important for us as Christians, not just to go, this is what I believe. I'm not just going to accept what everybody else is saying, but to also look, oh, how are other people viewing this? And does God need me to shift my own perception on what's here? Think about some of the people that have had to do that in Scripture, right? Because God is all about transforming people. We see it with, with, with Moses trying to shift his identity around, well, I can't speak in front of people. We see it throughout the Scriptures with lots of characters. And I, I particularly think about um, Paul and um, his experience where he was going around persecuting Christians. He was going around killing them because they were blaspheming God. And that big transformation that he had to take when he realized Jesus appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And he had to question his own view about God and, and be transformed through that. We see that in Peter. Now remember, if, if, if you've read it, where uh, Jesus is being tried, Peter's skulking around, seeing what's happening. Aren't you one of his followers? Oh, no, no, you must have me confused with somebody else. Uh, trying to fit in with the crowd, not standing out. He's, he's right back in that socialized mind. But then he had to come to terms with the fact that this Jesus that he's been following is going to be crucified, die, and come back again. And being able to accept and follow that involved him going through that self-transformation. We, we had a, a sermon little while ago that talked about him being back out on the boat fishing again back to who he thought he was and having to be called away from that so that that's a, a transformative moment for him where he had to really question 
Who am I seeing Jesus as and myself as one of his followers? But we see it cycle around again because if, if you follow and um, in our table groups, we've been looking at Acts. There's a part of Acts where you can see Peter being drawn into this debate around the Jews and the Gentiles and treating them differently. And he, he really struggles with this idea of, well, you know, maybe, maybe we do need to treat the Gentiles a bit different from the Jews. So again, that's being drawn back into this socialised mind, but also happening to accept this trance, oh, I need to look at how we treat Gentiles different to how I've grown up understanding them. So it's this call to reflect on how do I need to look this differently, at this differently and shift. And so for myself, maturity is part of going on that journey, but realising it's not just a one-way street. So just as Paul, as Peter had to go through that a couple of times, so too in our lives we often do as well. So if I bring myself back to that story, I was struggling, right? Because I, I, to some extent, I had understood who I was as a person, but then I had all these perceptions and people telling me how I had to act. And in amongst that, I had to go, ooh, how do I step aside and go, this is what's important to me no matter what other people are saying. And one of the things I learned out of that was I'll do a lot of work with teams and, and developing them. And I recognize this need to please and have harmony prevents me from helping them go through change. And that actually being able to be in situations where I can disagree with them, where I can make them feel uncomfortable is an important part of helping them. And for me to love better, I can't just be this map that enjoys helping people feel happy. And if I want to love them and help them through change, I need to be able to confront and have those uncomfortable experiences. So there was a learning process for me around, yes, God's made me this way and there's certain personality characteristics he's given me, but he's also asking me to mature and to shift some of the ways I do things. So where does that land us? Hopefully you've had a chance to reflect a little bit on some of the things that God is making you to be or has made you to be. But hopefully there's also this thinking about, well, what's God shaping me towards? What are some of the things that he might be pruning or adjusting in my life to help me mature and be able to love others more powerfully, to be able to do his work more powerfully? Today kicks off the rhythm of this week and that will be supported by the day by day if you're following along the, the devotional series we're using and our table group discussions where we'll be exploring it further. So this week you'll be able to delve into that. But let's just for the moment reflect on this morning what God's pointing us towards to explore in that this week. So let's just have a, a moment of reflection. What's God pointing you towards right now? And what is he doing to help you? Or what is he asking you to draw on to get you there? <laughs>